0: Greetings, fellow travelers, and welcome to the Way of the Showman, where we view the world through the lens of showmanship. I am your gracious host and guide along the way. I am Captain Frodo, and uh, it's great to be back here with you, as always. And it is also great to be back in Norway. I uh, left Norway for the first time for more than a year, since uh, last year I went to Denmark. To be part of the excellent production of Majestic. And that was the last time I had left in the country. And, man, it was an odd experience. I've been on planes and stuff, just within Norway. But Norway has finished their, um, all their corona things. No restrictions and etc. But uh, we have to, still have to wear masks at the airport and at the uh, airplane. I actually heard that that might have finished now even after I returned back. So that's all very exciting. But uh, then going to Germany where everyone has to wear masks again and I had a bit of a hellish trip where I arrived at the airport and at one minute past six in the morning as I was checking in, they, I got a message saying, oh, your flight has been canceled. So I was supposed to go from... Haugesund to Oslo and Oslo to Dusseldorf and the plane going from Oslo to Dusseldorf now was no longer going to go anywhere. So I after much back and forth had got put on another flight via Copenhagen to go but I was going to be part of Flick Flack. It's an amazing extreme circus with motorbikes and it, uh, it's a very cool show. Anyway I was going to be a part of that, but I was going to arrive a bit late because I wasn't going to arrive until like 12 o'clock in the day and the show was at 8 at night. So we have to do all tech and all that stuff in a huge show, like 1500 seat arena. I think they kept it at under to 1500 or like 1495 because of some corona regulations. But uh, anyway, huge tent. And I am now no longer arriving at 12. I am set to arrive at whatever it was, like seven o'clock or something like that. Or at makes maybe it was actually like six. I can't remember. It was anyway. It was like seven hour delay. And I of course then when I've after I'd waited in Oslo for hours and hours to get on the plane to um Copenhagen. And in Copenhagen the last flight to Dusseldorf is now delayed. So I arrive in Düsseldorf uh, at a uh, quarter to seven, that is, that's right, quarter to seven and uh, the show starts at eight. We haven't done any tech or rehearsal but I hear that they have sort of tested my music and whatever and uh, it takes, it took us about 45 minutes to drive from Dusseldorf and back 40 minutes maybe And uh, and I arrived and the audience was already in so I'm walking through the audience and anyway Got on stage, everything was all hunky-dory until I realized that I'd forgotten my stools. I had to stand on one leg for the entirety of the act. But I made it. But uh, it certainly made me stressed beyond belief. So, um, yeah, probably not as stressed as the lovely organizers of uh, the gig who was waiting for me, wondering whether I would make it at all, making... uh, last minute thing okay we cut it if he's not here by 7:50, then he's out of the show but anyway arrived did the show it was all excellent next day it was opening night and i went on and for some bizarre reason neither my microphone nor my music worked so i basically busked the version of the tennis rackets in a 1500 seat arena just after there's been crazy people on with um um, <laughs> motorbikes jumping across like extreme sport style and flying superman style across with rocking band and then i come on just in complete silence anyway it was a good clown mm-hmm. moment so that's what i have been through here so it's all opened up and there's masks and there's things but it's uh it's uh the world is beginning to function again which is all very nice So yeah, that's what I've been up to since I spoke to you last. And um, last episode we spoke about something that is very near and dear to my heart. It's this, uh, any one of those of the gang who has worked with me has heard me always asking questions surrounding what the anatomy of a show is, and I, you know, I think that a show consists of a character, when you're broken, breaking it down to its bare essentials, that's what we talked about last time, a show consists of a character presenting material in a structured way. The character explains the who question, who's doing it, and what is he or she doing. They are doing the material, and that could be anything, and this will be placed into some sort of structure. And within the structure, music and stuff falls into that. Um, We're of course doing it all for the audience and if we look at the other after looking at who, what and how then we get to the when and the real show is happening in this moment that's what's special so that's the question when is the show happening is now. Anything else becomes part of the material you know if we pretend that it happens in in India and it's actually done uh, in uh, a theater in Switzerland and that part of it, that it's in India, that's part of the material not really part of where it is, which is our sort of superpower is to always keep in mind and to keep the audience in mind that I am here in front of you, this is the real situation by keeping that in mind, this is of course yeah, something that when we do the random gigs in the uh, shopping centers or we get booked to do a do a christmas party then to pretend that you're in india might be a bit of a stretch so this is like at the as far stripped back and went so that's when as well now when that's of course uh, now and even though it could be in india set in the time of the raj that's part of the material so yeah and then in the end we connected this together with what we'd spoken about a few episodes ago about these, what I've been calling in a grand way, the faculties of soul or just these aspects of human nature and human experience of feeling and thinking and doing. So the character aspect of it is connected to the feeling. We connect emotionally to the person who um, is there. We connect emotionally a little bit to the material, materials and to the structure, but the core anchor for the feeling in the show is through the character aspect. The material is what we do and that's already then connected to the will, to master something, and the structure is related to thinking. It's kind of how we structure things and it's got a thought kind of aspect to it. And although that is very simplified, having this as a shorthand has really benefited me. in. Uh, both in understanding work when I watch it, and uh, when I am creating work, I'm going, ah, have I put in enough stuff in my, have I thought enough about this, or have I thought enough about that? So, after that brief interlude, I am rearing to get started. Um, and what, what will happen today will be a revisitation of something which we have done in Season 1. But as I have mentioned, what you are hearing now, all these episodes that I call The Way, that I tagged The Way after the show name, is a book that I wrote during lockdown in the last year and a half or so. I started writing it in uh, Las Vegas and I finished writing it here in Norway and The chapter that comes now is something which I have spoken about in a previous episode, but I think since it is of such importance as to what the nature of showmanship and our entire craft really is, to try to understand what it is, I am here repeating it in a slightly modified kind of way, just so that for completion this will... um, It's also something that I find very important. But for completion, I want this chapter to be involved in this season too. And it comes from a slightly different point of view and things have changed. So this is something that could stand for revisitation anyway. So without further ado, let's uh, jump on in to the world of ideas again and get cracking on the next leg along the way. (laughs) ¶¶ Showmanship. Now we are really getting into the heart of the matter here. We will be talking about showmanship over these next uh, few episodes from all kinds of angles. We will do a deep dive uh, next episode in where, where, where I'm going to break showmanship down in a similar way to how I broke down uh, the what um, a show is. And uh, to me that again becomes one of these real core things of what showmanship is but before that we are going to have one more deep foundational look as to what is the actual nature of showmanship before we really start looking at that, that is what we're looking at today and um, but before we start looking at the core of that of a process which i believe it is which some of you might remember from last time we might ask ourselves or one might ask, or I will ask this rhetorical question to get this rant started, why showmanship? Why is it showmanship and not circus or street performing or whatever? As I believe that the reasons that I am so interested in showmanship as a phenomenon separate from any particular skill can be traced to my history, my very own history as a performer. In life, I have a tendency to get completely hooked on whatever passion I have at any given moment and when I was a juggler I wholly identified as a juggler when I was performing in the kamikaze freak show and the happy side show I was a freak performer through and through as the particular passion of the different subcultures of performing cross-faded one into the other the one thing that remained constant was the performing the passions for performing was the same, but the creative outlets changed along the way. And looking back at this long and varied history of identities has made me realise that my core passion is the very activity of presenting material for audiences, which is doing shows, so not in that in that there was one thing that remained integral as my modes of expressions changed the thing that changed, never changed in that, that was the audience. I was always in a constantly expanding and evolving relationship with spectators watching me. All about it, the structures involved in pleasing audiences, the ways of capturing attention and sustaining interest, and the many things there is to show, is what's been the uniting aspect of my life. And From this realization I became so specifically tuned, this is like, I've there were so many things going on, but that's how it became so specifically tuned to showmanship as a craft. One person presenting material in a structured way for an audience. So what is showmanship? So let's, just before I offer my deep dive on it, I we we'll look at the Google dictionary and that describes showmanship as a person's skill at performing or presenting things in an entertaining and dramatic way. A person's skill at performing or presenting things in an entertaining and dramatic way. Makes sense. The Cambridge Dictionary defines it as the ability to entertain people. That's pretty straightforward. And the Macmillan Dictionary defines it as the ability to do things in a lively and enthusiastic way that attracts attention. And here we have some key words here enthusiastic and attention, That's gonna, we're going to delve into that. I describe showmanship as a particular way to interact with an audience, but it can also be seen as much more than that. I always like to look at what I do at different scales or levels. Zooming in and out of maps allows you to see different features of the terrain. In a zoomed in kind of way, showmanship is about entertaining an audience whilst performing, but if we zoom out, and taking a leaf out of Shakespeare's "All uh, the World's a Stage," and think of our world, the whole world as our audience, then showmanship becomes a mode of meeting and interacting with the world in general. So, in this broadest sense, showmanship is a way to face and meet the world. And I'd like to dive a little deeper than the dictionary definition, and ask. What is showmanship on an ontological level, uh, level? Like, what is the nature of this obscure phenomenon which we call showmanship, or which I call showmanship, and what lies in it? And to understand that, we have we have already taken a gander at human nature. So now, let's do the same with the very nature of showmanship. This is this is where we delve into something which we've uh, talked about before, about performance and showmanship being a process and not a, not a thing. So I have been a showman all my life. Well, not yet, but well, still, but you know what I mean. I've not really had any other jobs than doing shows. So after all these years as an artist, the thousands of performances, what do I have to show for it all? Where is my art? I have some money in my account, even though that got sorely depleted in last year, but I have a place to live. I have some things and some books. Actually I have a lot of books. I have this stuff because I received remunerations from crowds who have enjoyed my performances via clever producers of fabulous events, but ultimately it's from audiences. In other words, I've gotten paid the money that's allowed, that has allowed me to provide for my family, that is all results from the performances. But they are not the art itself. Where is my art? As I look back at my production as an artist, the art itself is strangely absent. I have done thousands of shows. Where are they now? I did shows with my dad for a decade, and I only have about five or six paper photographs to show for it. Not one minute of video, not a single clip of moving images of me and him performing together. These days, that's kind of hard to imagine, with smartphone cameras in every pocket, or perhaps more to the point, in everyone's hands. I have several scrapbooks in my father's attic in Norway that proves that people saw me and that some of those people wrote about it in papers and magazines across the world. The world, There are some leaflets from the family circus, uh, um, Circus Nemo, in Circus Barnley, that I performed in Denmark. And that's lying on a shelf in my Vegas hallway, or it was when I wrote the original draft of this thing. But these things, the flyers for shows that I'm about to do now, they're all just memorabilia objects associated with memorable events. It's not the art itself. Leaflets, posters and advertising postcards are all typical ephemera. The pictures and texts on them tells of the people I did the events with, the places where I performed them, where it happened, and sometimes says a few things about what I did. All this information is on the leaflet, but the event itself is lost It's lost in time, because the actual product of my art, the object of my art itself, is nowhere to be found. There are videos, particularly these days, but strictly speaking, those are not the performances either. A video is a moving picture, or many moving pictures, approximately 24 a second. It captures something of my show, but no amount of pictures can substitute being present at the performance. A picture tells a thousand words, yet every movie made from a book falls short of the book. What's going <laughs> What's going on there? Video records, they have sound as well. Like video records sound as well as the image. So it captures a further aspect of what happened in a show at any particular moment. But the participatory experience of being somewhere is fundamentally different. No amount of pictures can substitute actually going to Paris. It simply is not the same thing. Also, my wife told me when I suggested downloading a thousand pictures of the city of love rather than going there for a romantic weekend. And telling her that I have brought <laughs> bought a CD with uh, French songs uh, to go with the pictures it doesn't ruin her over. Learned that the hard way. And a picture of a fire, or even a video of it, will capture the light and unique dance of the flames. They will all be captured, the crackle of the wood burning is represented, but the arguably most important part of the fire, the intense heat, is missing in the recording. In the video retelling, the most visceral parts of the story is missing, so video is also just a form of memorabilia. More complete records than leaflets, but still, just a record capturing images of certain select outer aspects of the events. It is something, but it is not the same as. It's not my art. I mean, ultimately these, um, like a video that has been recorded, whether it's been recorded onto a disc or it's been recorded, you see it more particularly if it's recorded onto tape, where the tape, as it's viewed over and over again, those of us who grew up with VHS would, be aware of this or so who listen to music on cassettes, is that a cassette left on the dashboard in a car with some obscure band that you liked, some Polish punk band or whatever, and you uh, as the tape deteriorated and was played and it went out into a tape salad into the tape deck and you had to pull it back out again, this became now that object. So in that way you'd sort of say that that recording too is an, an organic thing. And that might happen with digital content too, that also doesn't last forever and can then get digital noise artifacts going through it. So that recording itself can become an, an um, object of art, but it is still not the same as the art. Because there is a big difference in how, one of the reasons is that there's a big difference in how something plays on a screen as opposed to how it plays in real life. Anyone who's filmed their act knows this. Television time is different from live show time. The television form is different, and much of the kind of tension that develops when a clown stands still in the circus ring doing nothing, something which creates huge tension in a big top, translates to dead time on the small screen. Or certainly can. I guess that was broken down when uh, Andy Kaufman did the Hey, here I come to save the day on the national television and there was just these long gaps of uh, silence where just the dude was standing there doing what feels like clowning 101, just waiting for waiting. That is just dead time, but I guess that created a lot of tension too, so that might be an exception to that. But live timing, live stage or circus ring behavior is not the same as television timing or behavior and when something is created for television or for a movie it is a different thing circus and live performance can make great uh, tv it can be great on television but it also needs then a whole production team camera editing sound and light on top of the live performance it needs to be created for it and then the show is still not fully captured but this has become a new thing like video art representing 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 my art um that has been created. And one good aspect of video as opposed to photographs and leaflets is that at least video includes a representation of the fourth dimension of time. And I think that this is an important clue, time, duration, as Bergson would call it. Henri Bergson, that is. Um a photo of me performing is a three-dimensional object. Some might argue that it borders on two-dimensional, but it's an object nonetheless. And this gets to the heart of the tiny bit of insight that I want to share. Tiny or huge, depending on how deep you think about it. Because the photo itself, that is the photographer's art. This is the result, this is the hard-won and expertly crafted result of a photographer's art project. A photographer's photo is her art. Her art is an object. Well, I'm aware that that this, that it, these days when everything is digital, then that too is a little bit abstract, but it's still then that it, sort of, it's the file. But there's, there's a story to how she got that shot, how she got her camera, the journey she took to capture the image, the place that she found in the forest with the Bathtub that has been somehow left behind in the middle of the forest, they found that, and then they go, I'm going to place you in this. And all of this is part of the artistic process. But the art or product of her art is the physical, actual photo that's then nailed to a wall in the um, old stone church where they um, are going to present them. And her art is something that you can touch, something that you can hold. In your hand or nailed to your wall. You can't nail my shows to the wall. It's not the feature. They're a bit like jam in that way. Although in 1999, just while I am talking about something else, then I was nailed to a cross with nails through my arms and one through the head of my penis at the Institute of Contemporary Art in London. So since it was such a fancy venue where bands like Heinz Stutzen and Neubauten had played and created a havoc. I thought that that kind of stuff is okay at those places. But where is that show now? When the Kamikaze Freak Show took to the stage with our beautiful freak performance, it happened at a particular time, at a particular place, but left no physical object behind. Even if I still have the scars to prove it happened, as yet another form of memorabilia, forged by my flesh." After the show at the Institute of Contemporary Art we packed our props, our massive cross, the accordion, the concert harp, the hammer and the nails, the needles, swords and tennis racket (there was only one (racket back then, actually) into our Leland Daff ambulance and drove off. We had used all those objects to create the art, but the art itself was nowhere to be seen. It was somewhere, though just not in any outer space. After our in-depth look at the interior and exterior you'll no doubt already have an idea of where to look for it if we can't find it in the exterior. My shows are presented on stages but I believe the art is experienced and exists only in the spectators inner space. Their experience of the show is the fruit of my art. My art is the impression made on the spectator's soul. The art is what's altered in the spectator after the conversation between showman and audience has come to an end. What they take away in their hearts and their minds, the emotions it stirred, the thoughts it triggered, and the inspirations for future actions. This is the true result of my art. My art is the experience. It is the moments in time. It is the duration where it occurs. Its participatory nature means the product of the art is retained inside other human beings. It becomes part of living human beings, myself included, stored as connections in minds. My thoughts, my actions, and my emotional connections enter into and in a sense becomes assimilated into the spectator's living processes. Thinking, feeling, and desiring, willing, and wanting human beings watch and take in my show, thus becoming the keepers, the guardians, and the walking expressions of my art. The sculptor's medium is marble or clay. The showman works directly with the human experience. The showman sculpts the clay of human beings. The other side of that coin is the showman's own experience of that particular show. This is carried within him or within her. It's also a molding of the mind completely interlinked and in a certain sense the flip side to the audience experience. I see in this the duality of the show-man, show-man, this duality that we talked about in a much earlier episode. I, the performer, is the show aspect, and the audience um, is the participatory experiencer, and this is reflected in that man aspect. I am the show aspect, and the audience is the man aspect, or in human aspect. Any particular show is made up of the experience of the audience and the experience of the showman. Yet this is also not the finality of my art. The show or act I've created is something which happens again and again. It's like a script or a sequence of events which is repeated in real time over and over again for audiences. Any one experience of this is just one expression of that act or show. Any one performance of Mozart's magic flute is but one expression of the written music score and the many potential expressions of the libretto. The music is not just the musical notations on the paper. It's not even found just in the individual notes. It's not the spaces between the notes. It's the sum of the notes unfolding as a re-presentation of the written score but only becomes music when it is heard and experienced by human beings. But again, there is more to it than each individual experience. Each time another director realizes and presents an opera onto the stage, um, this becomes another re-presentation of the many examples of expressions that lives in the opera as it was written by Mozart or um, Philip Glass or whomever it might be, a single performance of an opera does not necessarily tell us whether this is a work which will be of value and will speak to us over the ages. This is the point. This is all to point out that there is a core of the work, perhaps part of its nature, which lives in the work's repetition and retelling or re presentation. And this I find this kind of very interesting that we have in the nature of what the show is. We have this, it is one thing, but it is always, as it is being presented, it is reconnecting to the audience at whatever time that is. If it's a brand new show that we have created and we presented for the first time at the Adelaide Fringe Festival or at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival or at the Sydney Opera House, then that work, we will only know whether that is something that goes on to become something a la the Little Prince or uh, or, uh, Le Miserable, whatever these books or artistic things that can be expressed again and again and there's a core truth in there. This ties together for me with this the whole idea that we've spoken about at some point where that the original text of the Little Prince needs to be retranslated every now and then because the original text always remains relevant. It always connects to people throughout the ages, but each time it's translated into another language, that becomes kind of dated. And that's, there's something particular in the work of The Little Prince book that transcends time and it remains open and it has this sort of multiplicity of meanings and and so many hooks that are holding out that is ready to hook onto things in you that will make it meaningful and it remains so for decades and some of these works like um, The Magic Flute, it remains uh, gripping for audiences hundreds of years later so there is something in there which is which is not which is which is beyond the like the actual plan or at the idea or whatever and this is where we can perhaps see that there is a kinship between this aspect of a show's sort of repetition and the core that lies within it not the specific expression of each show that happens in the day that I did my act at um flick-flack and I came out and I didn't have my chair. That's just just one aspect of what could happen and and whatever in this one. And this, all of this, that there's something in an act which is not just um, the actual physical representation or repetition of it. This makes me think a little bit about Plato's concept of the world of ideas. And every time I say that in these episodes in the beginning, when I say world of ideas, then I think of Plato. He'll—he'll—he. It's also called um, the theory of forms. Because Plato, he thought that the physical world wasn't as real or true or timeless as the absolute unchangeable idea. Like each individual rabbit, for instance, is just... An imperfect manifestation of the idea of a rabbit. This goes a little bit to what we just spoke about now. Like the idea, the idea with capital I, was an entirely different and more perfect state of being. The ideal representation, the original form, the mold which every incarnation was a particular expression of. Um... In this light, the show is the idea, and the showman becomes the catalyst for the manifestation of that idea. Each particular performance is a single perfect and imperfect, full but incomplete incarnation of the idea. And the showman converts this idea into reality. He makes the ideas real. real. I don't want to go too far into Plato. Uh, And also I can't help but comment that I read um, some interesting stuff by uh, Hans-Georg Gadamer, another... German philosopher who I will get back to at a later point uh, because I, he, he, I discovered him and realized that all the stuff that I have painstakingly eked out over a long time and to the nature of what showmanship is actually is described already by Gadamer so should have read him before but anyway at least it means that I haven't been uh, uh, completely off on some obscure thing turns out there are books written about the things but anyway Gadamer he he has some doubts as to whether Plato actually did believe that world of ideas was a separate thing, which is a huge thought for those of you who are interested in philosophy. I hadn't sort of heard that before, because Plato is the guy who's on the famous painting there. He points upward to the world of ideas as Aristotle is pointing out um, into the world. Anyway, that is a digression that will should be edited out, but won't be for those philosophy nerds out there. Anyway, as I don't want to go too far into Plato, but I did anyway. But only I want to point out that there are many aspects of my art, or art in general, which aren't found in a concrete object, or even in a real-life performance of my act, for instance. My art is not a thing to be found in the world. It is a process. It's something that happens in time, an interaction, an interaction between elements. It's a sequential unfolding in time, a particular sequence of actions or steps taken in order to achieve a particular end of emotional, intellectual experience in humans watching. And this is my key insight as I see it. A show is not a thing it is a process it's an unfolding in time much like you you aren't a thing either you're an unfolding of events in space over time relationships they aren't things either your career and your health aren't things i would go so far as to say that all the things which are most important in life including life itself aren't things at all. Life is not a thing, it's a process. Organisms are living processes and I'm a process and you're a process too. You're an experiencer and these experiences makes you feel, think and do certain things at certain times. The experiences like watching me perform changes you. Maybe hearing something I said Maybe the images presented triggered something in you, connections were made. Either way, you will change. Sometimes subtly, other times more profoundly. You learn new things. You form new opinions, which again leads you to taking actions that you wouldn't have taken yesterday. You are a work in progress, a process, even... the first time we watch an act, the first time somebody watches my act, they see one thing and the next time when they watch it again and they realize that all the slapstick that looked like it was just complete chaos is actually some elegantly choreographed dance like that creates the illusion of chaos, you are altered and you don't see the same thing the second time you see it, even when you listen to a recorded piece of music, Glenn Gould playing the Goldberg variations you listen to the aria of that and you it hits you in one particular way and then the next day when you hear it again or you hear it again straight afterwards it's different because you have just heard it beforehand so my art my show and life itself are not like a crystal or a better analogy to show than to life is not saying that it's a crystal, but to saying that life is more like a fire that fits better. A pure crystal is made from one homogeneous substance like carbon or water, ice, with a naturally geometrically regular form. A crystal is basically, you know, a, a fancy rock. A rock with a more regular structure. And ultimately both crystals and less fancy rocks are created through processes. And the coming together of molecules in the highly organized structure was a process. But the crystal itself is different from the process. It's the result of the process. Even if, though, any rock you pick up still is in a process of existence, withering or being eaten by lichen or chickens to become gastroliths, or the rocks they have to help digestion in their stomach with any process like crystallization or fire is a series of actions or steps leading to a particular end crystals and fire exist on completely different timescales and their end products are very different in the two processes the product of the crystallization is the crystal and a product is the end in a certain sense The end product of the fire is cold ash, which is not the part of the fire process best describing the fire. The most important aspect of the fire is the process, the burning, the heat and the light, not the cold ashes left behind when the process is done. The heat and light are the defining characteristics of the fire, and like my art, it dissipates once the process comes to an end. A crystal, on the other hand, is a more orderly and simple thing. Its constituents arrange in a highly ordered and rigid formation. Placed next to a fire, a crystal has stillness where the fire has movement. After a while the process of fire has finished, and the logs have all burnt up and become ash, And next to it, on the cooling ground, the crystal still lies, still, with the heat gained from the fire slowly dissipating. And if a show is more like a fire than a crystal, then let's take a closer look at the fire process and see what we learn. The heat and light from a fire are the products of a certain stage in the combustion process. It's a chemical reaction that happens when some sort of fuel like wood reaches a certain temperature. A fire is what happens when you strike a match and set fire to some kindling which again sets fire to the logs. In its most basic breakdown a fire needs two things fuel and something to ignite the fuel. I mean, you also need an atmosphere with oxygen and for the process to happen, but we'll leave that aside for now, get back to it maybe. Fuel and something to light it with are the bare essentials needed to get a fire going outside your caravan. When you want some heat and light, after the strings of carnival lights have gone out and the carousels and ferris wheel has come to rest, you want a primordial fire turning used popcorn boxes and torn tickets and broken pallets into a glorious fire process, which might be as captivating to watch after a long day of shows and endless interactions with spectators and carnival patrons, as captivating to watch as the shows that have been displayed on the, on the midway. Something similar about those two things. And perhaps the reason we find a fire so captivating is this distant kinship that it shares with shows in that both are processes. They're endless, minor variations, never repeating, never quite the same. Each fire that you sit down by is the same fire, the same one that our ancestors sat by in the caves. Yet it is not the same. It's merely a, um, another re-presentation. The process has started again. Just like each presentation of my act and each re-presentation of uh, Philip Glass um, opera. We return to the fire again and again. And we return to the shows again and again. Just like the showman returns to his or her own material, and they are presented in a beautifully structured way with all the heart that the character can present. Perhaps it is this that we like so much in human experience. We like processes, and we like them all, and they're all distantly related, and it certainly seems to me, to sum all this up, like all the things we human beings care about most our processes processes and not things at all so this is why we talk about showmanship showmanship being a process and that's why I had to talk about it again today because I believe this to be so foundational and so fundamental to what it is that we're actually doing that starting deep like that that when our spade hits bedrock then we can start building back up again I mean we will re-unearth and we will mine deeper sometime in the future perhaps you know like there's never any actually solid ground because everything is flowing processes but recognizing this process thing that has been really valuable for me and next week we will be looking at um, what I see as the constituents or the components with the different aspects of this process so that it is easier to talk about. So there we go. I skipped ahead a little bit and I normally do this before that little jingle, but I'll play that jingle now. And just like that another sojourn along the way of the Showman comes to an end. Um I've never actually thought of or called that little accordion note there, a jingle before, but I guess uh, now that we're trying to reframe this this show, we have uh, hit uh, 10,000 almost 10,500 episodes downloaded and now it's obviously, this is going severely mainstream here I'm selling out and uh, hoping to be playing more uh, fancy uh, jingles and using a bit better lingo here for that, but anyway if you do enjoy what i do here then uh, it is totally possible and very much appreciated if you go over to uh this uh, website buy me a coffee if you go over to buy me a coffee dot um com/captainfrodo you find me there and you can um, drop me the equivalent of a coffee or two, if you would like to do so <coughs> yes and uh, until uh, that's actually all I want to say, and please again, please share this. I would love to get the uh, to get this uh, out there. I don't know what's happened, whether I can no longer make uh, Facebook ads. There's some sort of situation that's happened, and I need to prove my identity, which has proven a little bit uh, difficult and uh, cumbersome. So, anyway, it doesn't matter if somebody sees an ad on Facebook, the credibility of Facebook in telling people what's good or not, I believe, is. Not particularly strong. I think the strongest salesperson for this uh, new and revitalized uh, uh, getting philosophy and showmanship to the masses. Um, The best ambassador that I could possibly ask for is you. So, if you know someone out there who you think will benefit from this, somebody who likes to think a lot. I've had uh, some great feedback just yesterday here from somebody who is... uh, this is a musician, but that still finds a lot of value in what I did. It was lovely to get a message here from Nala Clown, an old friend and a great circus thinker whose book um, The Clown Manifesto we will discuss at some point in the future, in one of the future episodes. Very inspiring book to read and um, he just said that he's just listened through all the episodes up until now and he's out on tour and he Decided to go back and begin from the beginning again Listen to to the way So it is so lovely All these little messages that I get from performers from around the world And the growing number of you that I have been collaborating with I am forever grateful And I am very glad that this, uh, these um, rambling thoughts that I present That they are finding a home in performers' hearts around the world my heart goes out to Melbourne who is now within the next couple of days going to come out of the world's longest lockdown in 200 and I don't know how many days, I don't, I don't know how, how you have managed such, yeah, all kudos to you and to all you beautiful people around the world who's remaining true to the craft of showmanship and circus in these trying times. It hasn't been easy for any of us, but uh, that uh, light in the end of the tunnel is coming closer, I think, for all of us. But with that said, all that's left to be said is uh, take care of yourself and those you love, and I hope to see you along the way.